right? Go ahead and give somebody a high five. Wow, really? Now, 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 let's try this. Go give somebody a high five you don't know. How about that? How about that? Right, right here, brother. Right here. Right here. Bring it. Bring. What's up, man? Right here. Right here. Right here. I, I know, right? What kind of church is? Oh, I'm sorry, sweetheart. Right here. Right here. What kind of church is this? Listen. Check this out. Before we even get started, here's what the word says. Acts chapter 2. And this ain't even in my notes. So this is free. Listen. It says that they devoted themselves to the teaching of the word, to the breaking of bread, to the fellowship amongst the brethren. And it says that God added to them daily those that were being saved. Check this out. When you high five somebody, you know what's happening? You're strengthening the body. That's worship, ladies and gentlemen. When we grow together in unity and relationship, that's worship. And so check it out. Today we are starting a new series which really builds upon the last series that we were on when we were talking about life behind the scenes. And we're starting a new series entitled Unstuck. Let me ask you a question. You ever felt stuck? Oh, oh I'm sorry. I'm, I'm sorry. I got some Jesus Juniors here. I, I get it. I, I got you. I, I get it. No, listen, seriously. We have all been there. Maybe you are there. Maybe you'll find yourself there at some point. We feel stuck. We feel like, Something's just missing. Something's not clicking. Something's not working. Maybe, maybe, just maybe, you've gotten to that point at some point in your life where your own relationship with God feels a little stale. Where you feel a little stuck in your home situation, your career, hey, your aspirations, how you thought this would all play out for you. And, you know, it really has a lot to do with what God's word has to say about it. And so today we're starting a new series. We're going to really dig into the Word of God. And I'm going to tell you flat out, we're going to be studying the book of Galatians for the next several weeks. But it reminds me of a story as we get started here of the donkey that one day found himself in a bad situation. Maybe you've heard it. Maybe you haven't. Either way, I hope you just kind of entertain where I'm going with this for a moment. Story goes that there was this donkey who was in the middle of a small town. He was the only donkey. So he was pretty unique. And one day the entire town decides, we no longer want this donkey. Somebody say, "Uh uh-oh. Right? So the way the story goes is everybody in town gets together behind his back. And they decide, we're going to get rid of the donkey. But we're going to invite him. He's not even going to know what's going to happen. And so they, they tell the donkey, hey, there's a town meeting. 12 o'clock tomorrow, everybody show up, you're invited. And the donkey shows up, and when he shows up, everybody in town has a shovel. And here's what they do. They dig a hole, and the donkey's hee-haw, hee-haw, hee-haw. He's wondering, what's the hole for? And then they get the hole to about six feet, and then somebody just throws him in the hole. And everybody, everybody's rejoicing, everybody's excited, everybody's happy. And they all grab their shovels and they begin to throw dirt on him. But watch what the donkey does. Every time a pile of dirt lands on his back, he shakes it off, stomps his feet. They would take another shovel, float, dump it on him, shake it off, stomp his feet. So after a couple of hours of trying to 
put this donkey in a hole and just bury him alive. The donkey's standing and there's no longer a hole. And they're wondering, how did this happen? Let me tell you something, ladies and gentlemen. Every single one of us has been in a place where life dumps something on you, where the devil's maybe trying to dump something on you, where lies, where your past, where circumstances, where challenges, whatever it is, is trying to dump on you. And you got to remember something that the donkey knew. I don't belong in this hole. So I'm going to shake it off and stomp my feet. Now, listen. The reason why this donkey didn't remain there is because he knew something. And the truth of the matter is that if we do not know what the scriptures declare about what life in Christ is supposed to be, you know, honestly, we'll end up in a hole. We'll end up stuck. The scriptures declare this, that it is for the lack of knowledge that people perish. The lack of knowledge. And there's something that God wants us to know. And so today, as we get started, we're going to be looking at Galatians chapter 1. We're going to center on Galatians chapter 1, and we're going to dive off from there. But today, we're going to be talking about the power to break free. The power to break free. Listen closely. The scriptures clearly declare that when you know the truth, the truth sets you free. The scriptures declare that where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And so check this out. God has not created you and I to live stuck in a muck like a duck. You know why? Because that really sucks. That's not what you're called to. That's not what life is supposed to be. There is freedom in Christ. But check this out. According to the knowledge of what we know about what God has already done in Christ, who we are in Christ, and what his great and precious promises are, to that extent, we'll be able to experience it. The scripture says this, the scripture declares in second Peter chapter one, I believe it's verses three and four. It says that God has given you and I everything that pertains to life and godliness. How much? Everything, everything, everything in life. But it goes on to tell us that it's by these great and precious promises that we go on to partake of the divine nature of God. God wants you and I to take, to partake, to participate, to be a part of, to join in on what he has for us. But it's according to the knowledge of God, of his promises, of life in Christ that we experience it. And I dare say this, ladies and gentlemen, not tell on me. You ain't got to tell on yourself. I tell on me. Far too many times I've fallen short, but you know Why? It's because I forget what I have. I want you to consider what the scriptures say here today. Because we're talking about the power to break free. Before we go there, you can turn in your Bibles to the book of Galatians chapter 1. I want to give you just a, (laughs) excuse me, a little backdrop to the book of Galatians. The book of Galatians was written by a guy named Paul. This guy Paul is what was known as an apostle. That just simply means he's a church planner. Well, what does that mean? It just simply means this, that he went from place to place and he taught people about the nature of God, the promises of God, about what God had done through Jesus Christ. He simplified an understanding of what it was to have a relationship with God, to live life according to the way he simplified it. And so wherever he went, he taught and he grew in relationship with people. He worked amongst them. There's a portion of scripture where Paul talks about, he says, you know how I labored amongst you and with these own hands, I helped to support the ministry, to build 
And so Paul was a guy who was hands-on, and while he was hands-on and growing in relationship with people, he was teaching them. He was pointing them to Jesus. And what came to be known as churches began to grow. And so Paul went from place to place. He went on three different journeys called missionary trips, or what we call missionary trips. He just went on three journeys, three different times, and he went around and strengthening people and teaching people. And one of the places that he went to was this place called Galatia. And in Galatia, it was, uh, it was named Galatia because it, it was inhabited by people that came from a region once known as Gaul. These were some pretty heavy, heavy people. I don't mean heavy like in big. I'm talking about these people, like they, they were deep into pagan worship. They were warriors. As a matter of fact, history records that these people were known to be hired as mercenaries. So they were ruthless people. And now all of a sudden, Rome comes in and takes over, conquers them. And so Rome settles them in this little place that is today modern Turkey that was known back then. It was named Galatia after the Galatians from Gaul. And so what happens is this, that Paul ends up going to this place, Galatia, and he meets these people and he begins to see them eye to eye. He begins to share with them about how God loves them. He begins to talk to them about how Every single man needed redemption and, and, and all that simply means is that we, none of us could pay the price for our own sinful nature. And he begins to teach them some things and these people believe on the name of Jesus. They believe in God and they begin to seek God and they begin to grow and these people begin to experience life in a completely different way. But you see, the thing about Paul is because he was a church planner, he went from town to town, from place to place, from region to region and so he couldn't stay there. And so the... Book of Galatians, which we refer to as a book, but really it was a letter, an epistle, was written to these people to address something that was going on after his third time there. Something was going wrong. Something was going wrong. And what was going wrong was that Paul had introduced these people to Jesus, faith in Jesus. And as a result of it, they walked in his blessing. They began to grow as a church. They were strengthening one another. They were an example to 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 people around them. And then all of a sudden, a couple of Jewish Christians show up. And basically what that means is this. These were people that were born of Jewish descent and understood relationship with God according to the Mosaic law. You know what the Mosaic law is? You ever heard of the Ten Commandments? Thou shalt not do this. Thou shalt not do that. Thou shalt not do this and blah, blah, blah. Have you ever had your parents say something similar to that? Don't do this. What'd you do? Did it. Yeah, that was me. Yeah, that was me. That was definitely me as a kid. My point with that is this, that these people come with their Jewish traditions. But the thing is this, they also had come to believe in Jesus, but they believed in Jesus plus whatever it was. And if it's not Jesus and Jesus only, it doesn't equal anything. And so, couple of things that they did was they started imposing upon these Galatians. They go, oh, you believe in Jesus? I believe in Jesus too. But let me ask you a question. Watch how weird this gets. Did you get circumcised yet? I'm not trying to be vulgar here. The scripture says that these people came and they came with their Jewish religion. Their man-made ideas. And they said, hey, listen. 
The law says that you have to be circumcised in order to be declared righteous. So you got to do this. But guess what? We also observe all these Jewish, all these sacred days. And so you got to be doing that. And in addition to that, you got to be keeping all the commandments. And some of us think it was just 10. It's 613 of them. You know what the scripture says? That if you break one, you broke them all. And so these people come and they say, are you doing this? And are you doing that? And you've got this long laundry list. And Paul writes them, and he addresses what were the results of it. Let's turn to Galatians chapter 1, and we're going to read verses 1 through 16. And watch what it says. You can join us on the screen if you don't have uh, your Bible with you, or you can check out on, your, on, on the app if you have it. Join us however you'd like. Um, starting at verse 1, it says, Paul, an apostle, sent not from men nor by a man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. And all the brothers and sisters with me to the churches in Galatia. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to point your attention to something right away here. Notice that Paul says, look, I wasn't sent to you by a man. I wasn't sent to you by people. The message that I have is not my own idea. He says, I'm bringing you a message from God. And look, right now, maybe you might be viewing this from an abstract foreign perspective where you're saying, okay, we're learning about the Galatians. No, 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 no. Don't miss the truth here. This applies to all of us. This is God's word to you and me. And so watch what he says in verse 3. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age, according to the will of God. And Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. He goes on to say, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. That word gospel there simply means good news. But it's not just any good news. It's not like yesterday's paper where you read some good news. It's, it literally translates this way in, from the Greek. It's News that's so good that it's too good to be true. It seems that it's like, what, like, really? Like, what? Like, you got that kind of hookup? Like, that kind of good news. Like, yeah, give me some of that. Wait, send me that coupon code. Better than that. Right? And so, so it's too good to be true. It's that kind of news. But watch what Paul says. He says, I'm astonished that you're so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no good news at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be under God's curse. As we have already said, so now I say again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let let them be under God's curse. Am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Or am I trying to please people? If I was still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of, of Christ. I want you to know, brothers and sisters, go ahead and tell somebody who's talking to me. I tell somebody he's talking to you. He's talking to us, right? So watch. He says, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel I preached is not of human origin. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it 
by revelation from Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my previous way of life in Judaism, how I intensely persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond uh, many of my own age among my people and was extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers. But when God, who set me apart from my mother's womb and called me, watch this, by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles, my immediate response was not to consult any human being. There's a lot said here, but I want you to notice that from the jump, Paul introduces himself and he says, hey, yeah, I'm that guy who came to you and the message that I brought you then and the one that I'm bringing you now, it's from God. And he says, and by that message, here's my hope that grace and peace be unto you. Now, we're going to dig into that a little bit. But Paul gets right to the point. There's a problem among you, he says. And the thing about it is this, that it's a problem that if we're not careful, still exists to this day. What's the problem? It's the root that lies in everything that causes us to turn away from the course on which we first started. Let me tell you what I'm talking about. I remember quite a few years back, um, I was probably in my late teens or some, somewhere around there, or maybe my early 20s, I forget. But um, I used to borrow my sister's car. And man, when you ain't got a car, any car is good. So I was driving a 1986 Capri. That joint was busted. Light hanging, we had a wire on it, but it, it wasn't my car, it was my sister's car, it helped me get around. And I used to go uh, to Elmsford, New York to go work. And so I was rushing this particular day, and it's like four in the morning, I'm trying to get to work. And as I'm driving, there's this snowstorm that's coming by, and I'm on the sawmill, and there's, you know, the sawmill's really narrow. And I was really tired, because I used to work a lot of hours for very little money. I know none of you can relate to that, but that's where I was. Right. And so I'm driving. And as I'm driving, I had this thing where I was so tired that, you know, I'm just kind of like dozing a little bit. But the thing is that I, I convinced myself, I got this. I'm good. I'm good. Right. And so as I'm, I'm, I'm driving, what I, what I found that the car had something wrong with it. It was pulling to the left. And I'm like, what is wrong with this car? You know what it was? It wasn't that something was wrong with this car. It was that I was so tired that my hand would just slightly pull to the left, and I would doze, and, and so finally I come to, and here's what I see, I'm heading towards a barrier, I'm about to kill myself, and the question is, how do I get there, I, I said, man, something's got to be wrong with the car, it's the alignment, no, it was none of that, see, the reason why I share that with you is because when we begin to deviate from the grace of God, it's a slow and gradual process, in the beginning, it just feels like, ah, it's no big deal, I got this, I'm still in the lane, but you just turn that wheel just slightly and you start adding to what God has done through Jesus Christ and you start to put confidence in what you do for God and you start to believe that you got this and if you behave and if you look right and you act right and you talk right and you just sing a little louder and you just shimmy a little more and you just, whatever it is that it is that we think we can do to add to what God has done, whatever it is that we think makes us right with God, it's like that wheel where you begin to just pull on it slowly and at first it doesn't feel like anything 
anything, but you end up in places you never thought of. And it's simply because it started off with something small that caused you to deviate from the message of Jesus Christ. Let me tell you something. Verses six and seven summarize the big idea of chapter one. This is God speaking through this guy, Paul. And watch what he says. He says, you were called to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Get this. You were called by God's great grace towards you. And then all of a sudden, man, you know, that looks good. That looks real good. That's good news. It sounds good. It looks good. The worship is good. The word sounds like it's on point. I feel comfortable. I'm, I, you know, I, I think that I'm making the right decisions and all this looks good. But the question that we have to consider is this. Is it God? Is it by God's grace? Is it God's grace at work? Because if not, you're turning ever so slowly. And man, before you know it, we will find ourselves in places we never thought we'd be. See, the Jewish Christians had been circumcised on the eighth day after their birth. That's what the Mosaic law called for. And so for them, it was easy to go, yeah, you got to be circumcised. They don't even remember what it was like. Can you imagine that today? that you came to church at the bridge and, and we say, hey man, so glad you love Jesus, but we need to schedule you for your circumcision. Can I tell you something? I'm out. I'm out. Not me. Uh-uh. Now, I know that sounds a little far out there, but the thing about it is this, that if it's not Jesus and what Jesus has done only, it's not grace. Let me me put it this way to you. If all we do is put confidence in the things that we do, in the changes we make, in the people that we surround ourselves in, but in the midst of it, we're missing Christ. It's not the gospel. Man, I, I remember a conversation I had a while ago with a with a someone that was coming here and this person says to me, you know, it's just says, I, I I can't relate to some of the people here. And I said, Okay, let's talk about that. This person gave me a laundry list of what they were looking for in the body of Christ. Do you know that we have churches today that are built upon the likes of people. We got to make sure that we cater to this age category and that we, we put this kind of feel to everything and we've got to play only these kind of songs and they've, they've got to only be from these years and we've got to dress this certain kind of way and we've got to look this certain kind of way and we've got to act this certain kind of way and it's not the gospel. It's not the gospel. It's not the gospel. So, I remember having this conversation with this person and, 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 and the only thing that I said to them is, look, I said, just make sure this, that what you're seeking is Christ and not people. 
Man, I wish I could tell you that ended up good. It hasn't. My point with that is simple. And look, there's no condemnation. There's no judgment in that. The point is true for us all. If we set aside the grace of God, and we're going to define that a little bit more. What, what we're actually talking about here is if we set that aside, it leads to bad places. It leads to bad places in relationships. It leads to dying away in so many areas. So check out the result of this turning to a different gospel. Verse 7 says, evidently some people are trying to throw you into confusion and pervert the gospel of Christ. Watch what the result was. Confusion. Perversion. That word pervert there in the Greek means to corrupt or transmute. You know what that's talking about? It's talking about taking something and completely changing its form. Completely changing its nature, its substance. It literally depicts reconstructing something by destroying it first. And so watch what these people started off the right, on the right path, heading straight. I know where I'm going. I, I believe in Jesus. I believe in the grace of God. I'm trusting in what God has done in Jesus. And all of a sudden, they begin to just lean just a little. Lean. Just, and all of a sudden, now they're leaning back. And before you know it, it's a slumber. And these people find themselves in a place of confusion. What started off as a joy and a pleasure in their life, a blessing in their life, all of a sudden begins to go sour. They built something up, something else up in the place of what God was doing in their life. And so we learn a valuable lesson here from the opening of Paul's letter, that the grace of God gives us power to break free. Watch this. Paul is writing to these people, and he's saying, listen, you got this problem. And here's the solution. Grace and peace unto you. Where you started at. Where you started at. And so, the the word grace comes from the Greek word charis, and here's what it means. It means undeserved favor and pleasure which offers us goodwill, joy, loving kindness, mercy, and recompense marked by great benefit. Check this out. It is, it, it is so good, and there's nothing that you and I can do to earn it. It's that good. It's that good. You know how some of you go, oh, I just love me some chocolate. It's better than that. It's better than that. And so... Our lives depend on God's grace. Ephesians chapter 2 verses 8 and 9 says this, For it is by grace that you've been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is the what? Gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Let me say something to you here about grace, that without grace there is no faith. Let me prove that to you. Go back to verse 8 real quick. Let me show you something here. Watch what it says. So it says, for it is by grace that you've been saved. Sounds good, right? By God's grace, we've been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. But don't miss what the gift is. Watch this. We're saved by grace through faith. Let me, let me, let me depict that for you. You like coffee, brother? Good. You'll be, you'll, you'll be great for my example. I drank from this, though, so don't drink it. All right. Let me make sure you know that. Listen, next to Jesus, coffee is life. It's, it's good. Hey, he brews it. It's in the Bible. 
You didn't get that. You didn't get that. All right. You didn't get that. You didn't get that. All right. So check this out. Check this out, right? Here's, here's what the Bible's saying, right? Now, I want you to envision, Alan, right? That you and I don't know each other. And I walk up to you and I go, hey, man, I got something for you. You're probably not going to take that, are you? Why not? Right? I, I don't know what you put in there. I don't... Let, his, no, no, no. He said you, you might have put drugs in there. I don't know if you spit in it. You know, I don't know if it's got too much sugar, right? Here's the reality of what Alan's not saying, that all of us are saying. I don't know you. I don't know you. I can't receive something from you because I don't know you. I don't know your motives. I don't know your intentions. Now, watch how grace, how we're saved by grace through faith and not of works. Here's what the scripture's saying. God reveals himself to you and I. I love you. I know you dropped the ball. I know you will drop the ball. I know you're dropping the ball right now, but I will pay the price for you for the penalty of sin, regardless of if you want it or not. So here's the truth unto all the world. Sin has been dealt with. And the gift is available. Right? Now watch this. Alan can accept it. Why? One, because you know the one giving it to you. And because you know the one giving it to you, you know what he's saying is for your benefit. And so here comes grace. And faith comes as a result of grace and takes it. And now here's what happens. Yeah. (laughs) Thank you, Alan. Give it up for Alan. So my point is simply this. Listen, faith in God is a result of God's gift of grace. We can't even believe in God without what he's done for us, without knowing him. That's grace at work. Listen, when you know it's that good, it's so good. Wait, wait, wait. What about what, what, about what I'm doing? You know what the Bible says? That while we were still yet enemies of God, He gave his son for us. He loved us. That's grace. That's good news. Somebody needs to be like doing a little something up in here. Get your crazy praise on. So listen, without grace, there is no faith. Romans 6, 11 through 14 says this. So you also should consider yourselves to be dead to the power of sin and alive to God. Watch this. Through Jesus Christ. Notice that it didn't say through your behavior. Through your self-righteousness. Through your faithful attendance to church. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with those things, but let's be clear on this message. It says, do not let sin control the way you live. Do not give in to sinful desires. Do not let any part of your body become an instrument of evil to serve sin. Instead, give yourselves completely to God for you were dead, but now you have a new life. You have a new life. So use your whole body as an instrument to do what is right for the glory of God. Watch this. Sin is no longer your master. For you no longer live under the requirements of the law. Instead, watch this. You are under the freedom of God's grace. Listen closely. Without grace, without grace, let me put these back on. 
We live under the control of sin. Let me, let me, let me put it to you this way. If you are trying, if you're going, yeah, 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 I, yeah, I, I get it. I get it, preacher. God loves me. Yeah, 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 yeah. God is good all the time. And all the time, God is good. You know, you, you know that. Some of you have been around the block long enough to, you know all those cliche statements. But listen closely. Without an understanding and an acceptance that it's all based upon what he did in Jesus, listen closely to what the scripture is revealing. It leads us to a mindset where we're dominated by sinful activity, sinful mindsets. It's not that you are a sinner. It's that you're remembering who you used to be as opposed to what you've already become, a new creation in Christ. That preaches right there. That's, that, that spoke to me. So look, before a personal encounter with God, what we see from scripture is that we were really stuck. All we knew was life according to our desires apart from God. That's what we knew, our habits, our system of evil. That's all we knew. But you see, God's grace is our invitation to get out into the great unknown and to discover something new. It's like the little, uh, the little baby eaglet who's comfortable in its nest. Squeak, 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 squeak. Squeak, 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 squeak. You know what? Let me translate that for you from eagle to English. Mama, 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 I'm hungry, I'm hungry, I'm hungry. Mama, 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 I'm hungry, feed me. And mama comes and she feeds him. And then one day she goes. And little eagle goes, wait, what is this? This doesn't make sense. And before you know it, it begins to soar. Listen closely. Once out of the nest, it soon discovers that there's another realm of possibility as it spreads its wings. Grace gives us the ability to understand. I don't have to be controlled by my desires anymore. I'm free from that. I can spread my wings and truly soar in life. I can discover something new. Second Corinthians chapter 12 verse 9 says this, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My loving kindness and my mercy are more than enough. Always available regardless of the situation. For my power is being perfected and is completed and shows itself most effectively in your weaknesses. Therefore, I will all the more gladly boast in my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may completely enfold me and may dwell in me. Watch this. If you read just a couple of verses before this, Paul is complaining about this thorn in his flesh. He's complaining about this situation, which we don't know exactly what it was, that continually taunted him. It was a work of Satan. It could have been lies. It could have been oppression from people. It could, whatever it was. And Paul prays to God and God says, brother, you're missing the bigger picture here. In your weakness, there's always an opportunity for strength. Tell you something about God's grace. Without grace, there is no power. See, here's the thing. Our weaknesses, we all have them, right? Right? You do have some of those, right? You do have a little chink in your armor here and there. I know I do, right? It could be character. It could be discipline. It could be external circumstances. It could be physical ailment. It could be emotional deficits, whatever. But God's grace is the one thing that is powerful enough to make up the difference. 
And here's what Paul is saying by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, that in the face of weakness, we have a tendency, here's here's what he's addressing, that we have a tendency to feel bad about ourselves and, and to quickly give up. But the presence of God, the grace of God in our lives changes how we face weaknesses. You know why? Because where once we used to see weaknesses and feel defeated, now all weaknesses is a reminder that God is present and that he's making up the difference and that you can. You can. God's grace is our guarantee for strength. It's our guarantee for strength. I love what Isaiah 40 verses 1 through 5 and verses 29 through 31 says. It gives such a beautiful picture of God's grace. It says, comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed. That her sin has been paid for. That she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Watch this. Every valley shall be raised up. Every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level. The rugged places are plain. And the glory of the Lord will be revealed and all people will see it together. Watch this. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Listen to verses 29 through 31. He gives strength to the weary. Gotta tell somebody I qualify. He gives strength to the weary and increases power to the weak. Tell somebody else I qualify. Watch this. Even youths grow tired and weary and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. Listen, the grace of God. Grace is God's power to do in our lives what we can't on our own. Watch, watch the imagery, the wisdom of God. He says, yeah, you know those mountains that you see? Yeah, I bring them nice and low so you can see where you're going. You know those valleys that you're going through, those lows? I raise them up so that you can walk on level ground. You see that rough ground that you see? Yeah, I remove all that rubble, all that stuff, and I make it plain. He says, you see that dry place, that desert place? Yeah, I I give you an oasis in the midst of it because I am God. And he says, and I have spoken this into your life. Don't tell me I'm stuck and I got to settle there. That's not the God that we see in the word of God. Listen, Paul's message to the Galatians and us is a simple one. It's simple. It's super duper simple. It's so simple that we can sometimes miss it. Paul says to them, stick with how it all started. He says, I'm perplexed. That you're turning to something else that is not good news at all. How'd you get so far there? Just a little bit. He says to them, stick with God's grace for your life. Don't allow anything else to take the place of his grace in your life. This point is so foundational and so important that watch this. We have an example of it. From the very beginning of time, the very first Bible story is about grace. 
Turn with me in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 2, verses 8 through 10. Starting at verse 8, it says, Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east, in Eden, and there he put the man that he had formed. The Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. And in the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. A river watering the garden flowed from Eden. From there, it was separated into four headwaters. Listen, from the beginning of time, here's what we see. That God supplied everything that man needed. He put him in a garden. He gave him fruit for food. And man was plentiful with life. He didn't even have to water the trees. You know that person that invented uh, sprinkler systems? Yeah, they got that from the Bible. God watered the garden. Man didn't have to do anything, right? And so all this is going on. Man was nurtured, provided for. He pleased God in every way. But notice that in the midst of this garden, there were two trees that the Bible points out. The tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. I heard your question. Why would he put a tree of knowledge of good and evil? We'll talk about that in a second as we're wrapping up here. Genesis chapter 2 verses 15 through 17 says this, the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work and care for it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. I want you to notice something. I know, I know what you're thinking. That's not a tree. I get it. Just stick with me for a moment. Some pretty tulips, right? One tree was good to produce life. The other tree was a tree that gave knowledge of both good and evil. Now, there was no need to eat from this tree that gave both knowledge of good and evil. They had it all with God. There was no need to know what was wrong. There was no need to know sin. There was no need to know error. There was no need to know life apart from God. There wasn't a need for it. It wasn't necessary wasn't beneficial. So thus the question, well, why would God put the tree of knowledge of good and evil there amongst them? You got to remember something about God. From the very beginning, he created us with power to make a choice. And you know, you know, you know what the beauty is about this gospel, about what God has for you and I, that every day we are, we have the choice to love God, to know God. We have the choice to follow his ways. We have the choice. Like, get this picture. God's not imposing this on you. God's not, God's not forcing you and I. From the very beginning, God did not force man to do anything. He gave him everything. And he says, you choose. Choose God or don't. So watch what happens here. Genesis 3, as we're wrapping up, says this. The serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord God had made. And one day he asked the woman, did God really say you must not eat 
the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? Of course we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, the woman replied. It's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we are not allowed to eat. God said, you must not eat it or even touch it. I don't have time to dig into this, but if you study this out, what you'll see is that she didn't know exactly what God had said. She added to what God had said. See, there was a lack of knowledge there. Something, something went wrong. And so watch what Satan says. Uh, well, she continues saying, if you do, you will die. You won't die, the serpent replied to the woman. God knows that your eyes will be open as soon as you eat it. Watch this. And you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. You know what the problem is with that statement? She was already like God. Because she had been already created in his image and in his likeness. And so Satan comes in and says, oh, there's something more that you can add to this being like God. To being in relationship with God. And watch what the Bible says. The woman was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious. And she wanted the wisdom it would give her. And so she took some of the fruit and ate it. And then she gave some to her husband who was was with her and he ate it too. At that moment, their eyes were open and suddenly they felt shame at their nakedness. And so they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. Listen, one tree offered fruit for receiving what God gave them. The other tree offered fruit that appealed to them to get something for themselves. Now, here I have two jars with tulips. Which one would you like? Right? Somebody said both of them. Some of you go, oh, those, those big ones look pretty good. Let me tell you something. One is the real deal, and it's full of life. It's beauty in season. It's a picture of grace. The other looks good, sounds good. Now nah, I'm not going to do that. Yeah. You see how my wife knows me? I was about to literally just throw this over there and just... But, but, and if you've been around long enough or... If, yeah, I'm that pastor. I'm that guy. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty wild like that. But my point is simply this. You don't need anything else in addition to the grace of God. You don't need anything more than this message that God so loved you so much that he gave his son. That if you would just believe that he loves you and that what he did was paid the price for you so you won't have to pay it and you don't have to live with guilt and shame. You don't have to live with the results of a sinful nature. You can actually rise above. You can be free. You can live life unstuck. You can find healing in your emotions. You can find peace in your heart. You can see restoration in your homes. You can see communities change. You can see the power of God at work in your life. All this by his grace. So I want to encourage you, don't seek to know God outside of his grace. Because it's a lie. Don't add 
to this message of Jesus. John 14, 15 was one of those scriptures that was pivotal in my life. And I just want to share it with you. And we're done. I want you to notice what it says. It says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. You know what's the problem with that one sentence right there? It's the comma. Let me tell you what I mean. Here's how I understood it. I grew up in that church in one of those places where it's like, yeah, God loves you, but outside of God loves you, everything else fell on me. I went to one of those churches that every Friday night we had jóvenes. You know what that means? Youth group. You know what we did every Friday night? We spent about two, three hours in worship with tambourines. I still bug out when I hear tambourines. Look, I'm, I'm, I got nothing against tambourines, but it just, it just, I get a little tick. Nothing wrong with them. But listen, every Friday night, I was getting saved again. Every Friday night, I was crying and saying, Jesus, forgive me for going to the movies. Forgive me because I stubbed my toe. I know I did more than stub my toe and said all this stuff. Forgive me for the way I acted. Oh, Lord, forgive me. I just, just, my relationship with God was based on guilt. And I never felt good enough. And so I would read this, and here's how I read it. Here's how I learned it. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. See, the way I understood it was this. All right, well, if I really love God, then here's where I need to focus on. I need to keep his commandments. As long as I keep his commandments, I love him. You know what the problem is with that? That train of thought? Who's really the one controlling the relationship? Think about that. If I love you, then guess what? My love for you is based upon my adherence, my following of your commandments. And so as long as I'm doing this, we're good, God. And as long as I'm doing this, I can expect your blessing, God. And as long as I'm behaving this way and acting this way and doing these things and reading the word and going to church and singing these songs and crying my eyes out and and coming to the altar and laying down and repenting continuously and God, and, and we get it all mixed up. Repent simply means turn around. It's got nothing to do with emotion. And so... That's how I understood it. And what I, what I learned over the years is this, that I was living on the wrong side of the comma. Because what the scripture says there is this, if you love me, watch what the result is. You will, you will keep my commandments. You know what the scripture saying there? The Bible says this, I believe it's 1 John 4, 19, somewhere around there. It says that we love, right? But watch why we can love because he first loved us. Let me remind you what we read in Ephesians chapter 2. We're saved by grace through faith, not of works, lest any of us can do what? Boast. It's got nothing to do with what you and I do. And so here's the thing. If we could just put that verse up one more time, please. Your love for God will produce life. But when our focus is 
what I do for God, when, when I focus on, on, on this tree right here and what I do to get that knowledge, and notice that the Bible says that Eve saw the tree and it was pleasing. It appealed to her eye. The problem was it didn't appeal to her heart. It didn't show her the truth. She was led by a deception. She bought into the smoke screen. And she says, man, that's good. It, it looks good, so it must be good. Listen, without grace, the focus becomes to do something, to get something from God. But grace, grace is, the focus is to love God and the result is life change. It's life. Let's stand here today. Now I asked a question as we got started here. And I asked, I asked us to consider, you ever been stuck? And I want to show you something that these people had some really, 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 really bad results. They were in confusion. Everything that they thought it was to have a relationship with God changed on them. They reconstructed it to become something that God never intended. In other words, it wasn't good. Not only did it affect their approach to God, but you know what? When, when your approach to God is lacking, you know what else is lacking? Life. The abundant life that Jesus spoke about the promises of God bearing fruit in our lives. Here's the thing. What we see here today is simply this, that it's the grace of God that we need to continually look to. And in discovering Christ, in seeing what he's done in our lives, in seeing his hand of mercy and grace in viewing life through those lenses. Yeah, it clarifies life. Yeah, it brings hope. Yeah, it brings healing. It brings change. And so today, I want you to consider, are you stuck? Stuck in any area of your life. And if you are, then here's what we need to realize. That the solution to getting unstuck isn't Jose 2.0, by the way, that's me, like improving on your old self. It's not about you doing something for God. No, 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 no. It's about you getting before God, knowing his ways, seeing his love for you, and watch God produce life in you. Amen? Now, check this out. It's very possible that maybe somebody online or, you know, someone here, no judgment in all this, but maybe you've just never really considered relationship with God that way. Maybe what you've thought is, I've got to do A, A, B, C, and D in order to be right with God. Well, yeah, the grace of God disproves that. And grace isn't a license to live sinfully. Last time I checked, none of us needed a license to do that. We don't need a license for that. We could do that all on our own, apart from God. But here's the truth. The grace of God does one thing above all. 
It sets us free. It sets us free. Feeling stuck? Get back to the core of where you're supposed to be. For some of us, it's where we started and maybe we've just pulled a little to the left. For some of us, man, this is all new, man. And I'm, I don't even know where I'm going with this, but all I know is that it's a lot simpler than what I thought. Maybe you're on that path, but you know, we can all deviate at times. If you believe for the very first time today that God loves you to such an extent that he would approach you by his grace, And he's provided the payment for sin. He's made a way for you to have life. To live on the right side of the comma. I want to encourage you to join us in a simple prayer. It's a prayer of faith. Here's what that means. It means, man, I really believe that. And yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm declaring that. That applies to my life. If you believe that with us today, I want to encourage you to join us as we pray this with confidence. Let's say this together, congregation. Say, Jesus, I believe. You are the Son of God. I believe you love me. I believe you died and you rose again. And you paid the price that was mine to pay. And so today I declare that you're my Lord. I declare you're my Savior. I declare you're my God. And from this day forward, I'm following you. I'm living life. In freedom, freedom. no longer longer. stuck. Stuck. Come on now, if you prayed that with heartfelt prayer, with understanding, and you believe that in your heart, we celebrate what God is doing in your life. Don't leave here without sharing with someone what God is doing in you. Let us walk alongside you. Now, Father, we leave here free because he who the Son has set free is free indeed. We love you, we praise you, and we thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. God bless you. Have a great weekend. We'll see you again next Sunday.